My son is in the world, God. Yeah, baby. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The anticipation, the highs, and the historic soccer event millions of Canadians have waited a generation for. Good evening. Team Canada has made its return to soccer's world stage, and few would argue they did not disappoint. The squad gave one of the planet's best teams all it could handle, and fans an afternoon of thrills and chills, three decades in the making. CTV's John Musselman has been in the heart of the fanfare today in, in Toronto and joins us now live. Hi, John. Guys are at a great effort by Canada. So many chances they just couldn't score that much-needed goal. But a lot of the fans here say uh, they did Canada proud. It was an emotional moment for the Canadian men's team, proudly singing the national anthem as they returned to the World Cup for the first time in 36 years. And when the game began, Canada in white went on the attack against the highly favoured Belgians. And then a huge opportunity. Superstar Alfonso Davies on a penalty kick in the first 10 minutes. It's Davies but the Belgian goalie came up with a big save. Canada kept pushing, but heartbreak just before the end of the first half. Belgium with a huge goal to go up 1-0. At Cafe Diplomatico on College Street, the viewing party never gave up, cheering with every Canadian chance. Canada never rolled over. They kept pushing for the tying goal, but it was not to be. 1-0 Belgium was the final score. But Canada could not find a way. They played with their guts. They played with their heart. Just wasn't the result that we needed. They, they outplayed them. They dominated possession. Unfortunately, if you're playing the number two team in the world, you have to be perfect. Yes, I'm very proud. I, I'm surprised how well they did. Their momentum went down a bit because Belgium had scored. So, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing them play again. I think they're going to get their act together. And Belgium is a very strong premium team. And we still competed them. They struggled to beat us. Canada's next game is against Croatia. And hundreds of fans will be gathering right here at Cafe Diplomatico again. And that game against Croatia will take place on Sunday. Reporting live on College Street, I'm John Musselman. I'll send it back to you. Thank you, John. Well, there are several big reasons why Canada is where it is tonight. And one of them is located just west of Toronto. CTV's Raheem Ladani reports on how some of the spotlight of our soccer men can be shared with the Flower City. There's plenty of excitement at the Brampton Elite Soccer Academy on a day these budding stars will likely never forget. My dad just said, um, you're not going to go to school, you're going to watch the game. As Team Canada takes the pitch in Qatar, several of their players' roots stretch all the way to Brampton. Seven of them were either born, raised or developed in the 905 city. I never think that people from Brampton would make it so far. We're known as ghetto and bad <laughs> and part of the hood, but like we're really not that bad. We're good and I'm proud of them. That's where they came from, from the roots, from rep soccer, from house league, and they developed. So I think that's what Canada needs to do, invest in that. From showing the game on the big screen here at Garden Square to handing out free popcorn, it's these types of community events that create passion for the sport at a young age. 
for three players on Canada's team. That passion turned into talent at a Brampton high school. That's Kyle Laren right there. Kyle Laren, Jonathan Osario and Tejon Buchanan all walked through the doors of St. Edmund Campion Secondary School. They each won an OSA championship, helping the school win five provincial titles over 13 years. I think there was, uh, there was some, some signs of, of, uh, of brilliance, uh, a bit more mature understanding of the game at their age uh, early on. And uh, the rest, I guess you can say, is history. It's that history that's now motivating the next generation of soccer players. Maybe I can have a shot at being like one of them. It is something to look up to. Inspiration that will carry well beyond the World Cup. Raheem Ladani, CTV News. And a reminder, CTV and TSN are the official broadcasters of the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. Team Canada's next match is Sunday against Croatia. Game three is a week from tomorrow against Morocco. A live look now at the city uh, following another fantastic November day to be out and about and an afternoon of near double-digit weather. Lindsay Morrison is here now with a look at our current conditions. Uh, a nice day today, certainly compared to last week. Oh, that's for sure, Zoraida. You know, we made it to eight degrees in the city of Toronto. We had a little bit of mist out there, but other than that, we had beautiful sunshine. As we make our way through the night tonight, we are looking at a little bit of fog developing, especially as we move past midnight. Let's take a look at the current satellite and radar to show you what's happening there. Not a whole lot of activity, but you can see some of the cloud cover off to our north and to our east. Temperatures still on the mild side, even though the sun has set. And overnight tonight, once again, we can expect some fog to develop, especially past midnight. Night. It will linger into tomorrow. The temperature slipping just below the freezing mark. We will have a full look at your weather forecast coming up. We are also broadcasting live in Whitby, Ontario for a very special reason. We'll explain why coming up. For now, back to you. All right. Thank you, Lindsay. Still ahead, putting an end to bullying in our schools. What students with one GTA border doing tonight to stamp out an ongoing issue? We turn now to a terrible tragedy east of the city, a highway crash that has devastated a Peterborough area community. It killed three members of the same family and left another clinging to life in hospital. CTV's Janice Golding has been following this story and is outside Sick Kids tonight. Janice. Hi, Nathan. Yes, a family has been shattered. Three dead. Their teenage daughter flown here to Sick Kids last night with what OPP are calling life-threatening injuries. The flashing lights of emergency vehicles, an ominous sight. Highway 7 near Drummond Line shut down at 5.15 p.m. yesterday after four people were killed, another critically injured in a head-on collision. The collision involved a pickup truck and a sport utility vehicle, and the cause of the collision remains under investigation at this time. Among the dead, a mother, father, and their 18-year-old son, whom family identify as Stephanie, John, and Riddick McCart, their 14-year-old daughter, Rogan, taken to sick kids via Orange Air. Their loss will be felt um, as an educator and, and as a student. CTV News Toronto has learned three of the victims were involved with Thomas A. Stewart Secondary School. It claimed the life of uh, one of our uh, educational assistants and um, a grade 12 uh, child, her son, and her husband. And... Um, as you can well imagine, it is a community in mourning, community in grief, and uh, our, our thoughts, uh, our prayers are with um, the grade 9 student uh, who was airlifted to a Toronto hospital.
Meanwhile, the school's principal sent an email to parents today expressing sadness and grief and apprising them of the fact students had been informed of the tragic accident this morning. We have uh, supports in place. We have our crisis response team here today. Um, we have grief counselors. We have mental health clinicians. Friends say Riddick McCart was actively involved in the school's dance program for several years, a lively and active teen who's lost their grieving. On a GoFundMe page, meanwhile, families say they are absolutely devastated. The identity of the fourth victim has not been confirmed. Family tells CTV News that Rogan McCart had surgery this morning and they're hoping to raise enough money for expenses and any future care she may need. In the meantime, OPP are asking anyone who witnessed anything last night or who recorded dash cam video to contact them as soon as possible. Reporting live, I'm Janice Golding. Now back to Zoraida and Nathan. All right, thank you, Janice. You can find more details on this story on our website, ctvnewstoronto.ca. A developing story from our streets tonight. Police are on the scene of a fatal crash near Young and St. Clair involving a pedestrian. CTV's Andrew Brennan is there and joins us now live. Andrew. Well, Zoraida and Nathan, I just want to start off with people at home that there are some details that we're hearing about this story that make it not only violent for a collision, but also very harrowing for the people that witnessed it. We did get an update a few minutes ago from Toronto Police. This is some of what they had to say. Uniform officers from the division, 53 division, are first on scene, and traffic services and their reconstruction team have taken over. Uh, majority of the team is uh, just making their way. Uh, the supervisors of that team made it to the scene rather quickly and helped uh, start the investigation. It was the fire department and paramedics that were first on scene. What we've been told by a witness is that as a car or a larger vehicle was turning onto Young Street, they not only hit this pedestrian, which police have identified as an adult male, next of kin has not been notified, so that's all that we know thus far, hit the person and dragged them as they continued to drive for several feet. And fire department has confirmed with us that they did have to extricate the person from the vehicle or underneath it. So again, there are some details that we've been hearing that are pretty hard to listen to. Some other things that we do know right now, this happened around 4.30. The businesses here at Young and St. Clair have been shut down and people have gone home early. It is also a traffic snarling situation for many drivers coming from the north, the south, and particularly from the west. As we mentioned, the adult male is all that we know about the victim right now. We don't know much about the driver. They also remained at the scene, we are told by police. There's no indication right now about any charges that could be filed. The investigators will be here for several hours, we're told, to make sure that they can get every detail and also get as much security video and other video footage from the scene. Reporting live, I'm Andrew Brennan. Zoraida Nathan, we'll send it back to you both inside. Thank you, Andrew. Doctors are expressing their frustration over a memo from the Ministry of Health asking them to expand their hours. The ministry made the request in an effort to better accommodate parents with sick children. For more, we're joined by CTV's Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris. Siobhan. Well, a spokesperson for the Minister of Health says they do appreciate the all-hands-on-deck approach that health care providers have been doing with cases of RSV and the flu surging. But some doctors I spoke to really aren't feeling good about being asked to do even more. The request came from the Ministry of Health for doctors to expand their clinics, see patients on evenings and weekends to better accommodate parents with sick kids. It's not as if we've been slacking off with our doors closed or focusing on other things. You're sending a letter to people 
who are already giving 110%. I know in my area, doctors are working overtime. We've got evening clinics. We've got weekend clinics. Some clinics are already running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Our clinics are busier than ever. It means our phone lines are really busy. It means that um, we're trying to squeeze in more patients during the hours that we do have. And it means doctors are wiped out. Suggesting that people can get work harder when they're already working that hard. Uh, it, it, it's morale killing, it's soul sucking, um, dumb, it's dumb. In the face of pressure on pediatric hospitals in particular, a spokesperson for the Minister of Health says expanded primary care hours will help avoid unnecessary visits to hospitals and keep our emergency departments available for those who require urgent care. I think she's actually gaslighting Ontarians to think that the problem is with primary health care when the government's underinvested in it. And primary health care is facing the same health human resource challenges that our hospitals and long-term care and the entire health care system is facing. Dr. Kieran agrees short staffing is creating log jams. Particularly when it comes to adult emergency departments, we know that there's also a, a very large ALC problem. So that means that there are many patients that are waiting in hospital beds who can't be discharged to the community. A problem that backs up the whole health care system. Dr. Gandhi says what the government should be doing is listening to ideas from those on the front lines. His idea is to bring back the assessment center we saw during the peak of the pandemic and use it to work through cases of RSV and the flu. Reporting live from Queen's Park, I'm Siobhan Morris. Nathan, back to you. All right, thank you, Siobhan. A Woodbridge mother says her seriously ill four-year-old child spent 40 hours waiting in a hospital emergency room while battling a respiratory virus. She says the chaos began early in the morning on November 9th, and that's when her daughter, who also lives with Down syndrome, was brought to a hospital in Vaughan, where she was quickly diagnosed with pneumonia. From there, things went downhill. They spent the next 40 hours waiting for a bed to be available. The hospital says its ERs and urgent care centers are seeing higher patient volumes than ever before. This mother's experience was the focus of a debate in the provincial legislature this morning. How many more kids will have to wait long hours for care before this government takes action to relieve the burden on hospitals and ensure our kids get the care that they need? You know, it is obviously deeply disturbing for all of us to hear stories about parents who have to wait with their children as they get admitted, as they are waiting for that bed to open up in the hospitals. But I also think it's important for us to understand and appreciate that these are not new issues and not new problems. And you can learn more about the mother's weight in the ER online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. Well, parents and students will have to wait until next month to find out whether a tentative deal between the province and 55,000 education workers has been ratified. CUPE members will begin voting on the proposed deal tomorrow. The vote will continue until December 5th, with results expected the next day. A strike by the union was averted after the tentative agreement was reached on Sunday. It includes a $1 an hour raise each year for four years. But CUPE says it does not include the staffing level guarantees it was hoping for. Halton police have laid charges in connection with a homicide investigation in Milton. 40-year-old Assad Rashid has been charged with second-degree murder following a fatal stabbing. At around 5.45 p.m. yesterday, police were called to a home on Gosford Crescent. They found a woman with life-threatening injuries. She later died in hospital. It's unclear what the relationship between the two is, but police say there is no threat to public safety. 
A man is dead. Two others are in hospital following an early morning crash. It happened on Steeles Avenue East near Sewell's Road just after 3 in the morning. Toronto police say the man died at the scene while two other men remain in hospital with serious injuries. The cause of the collision remains unclear. Steeles is closed between 9th Line and Reeser Road as the investigation continues. A funeral was held in Jerusalem for a Canadian-Israeli teenager just hours after he was killed in an explosion this morning. The victim's been identified as Aryeh Shekopek, a student at a Jewish seminary. He was killed in one of two blasts today near crowded bus stops in Jerusalem. At least 18 others were hurt. Israeli officials say the explosions were attacks carried out by Palestinians, although no group has claimed responsibility. There's been an uptick in violence as Israel carries out nightly raids on militants in the West Bank. Mourners there held a funeral today for a 16-year-old the Palestinians say was killed by Israeli gunfire overnight. Federal Justice Minister David Lametti took the stand at the Emergencies Act inquiry today. He was asked about a text message mentioning the legislation to his chief of staff as trucks occupied downtown Ottawa two weeks before it was enacted. I knew that, that we had to begin thinking about it, whether or not it was ever going to be an option. Several other members of the federal cabinet are scheduled to testify this week, including the prime minister. An Alberta paramedic who unknowingly treated her own teenager following a horrific crash is in mourning. Getting my beautiful daughter's name out there. She meant the world to all of us. It happened at about 4.30 p.m. yesterday, just north of Calgary. RCMP say Jamie Erickson's 17-year-old daughter, Montana, was the passenger of a vehicle when the driver lost control on an icy stretch of road. The two were then struck by oncoming traffic, and while the driver survived the crash, Montana did not. Erickson attended to the teenager, and following her shift, RCMP visited her home to inform her that it was her own daughter that she had treated. A GoFundMe has since been created to help Erickson and her husband cover the funeral costs. More than $80,000 has been raised so far. Russia is continuing its airstrikes across Ukraine with deadly consequences. Ukraine's emergency services says a Russian missile hit a maternity hospital in the Zaporizhia region and a newborn was killed. The mother and a doctor were rescued from the rubble. Officials in Kyiv say at least six people are dead as Russian strikes hit more power facilities in the capital. Moscow has been trying to weaponize winter by knocking out electricity and heat. Ukraine has requested an emergency meeting at the U.N. Security Council. A warning now about the disturbing details in this next story. Americans are mourning after another deadly mass shooting, this time at a Walmart in Virginia. I looked up and my manager turned around and he just opened fire on everybody in the break room. And it is by the grace of God that a bullet missed me. Six people were killed. At least six others were wounded. Police say it appears the gunman shot himself. U.S. President Joe Biden says more needs to be done on gun violence, calling the shooting horrific and senseless. And in Colorado Springs, a makeshift memorial is growing as people remember the victims of last weekend's mass shooting at a gay nightclub. Five people were killed and 17 others were injured. The 22-year-old suspect appeared via video link in court today on a preliminary hate crime and murder charges. 
Back here in Canada, the federal government is receiving a mix of praise and criticism after proposing a key change to this country's gun laws. Gun control advocates accuse manufacturers of trying to dodge federal bans by introducing new models not covered under the legislation. So the Liberals are suggesting what's called an evergreen definition of assault style firearms on top of an existing regulatory ban. Conservatives say the proposal would impact more semi-automatic guns, calling the move an all-out war on hunters. The city of Hamilton has a bit of a mess on its hands tonight, and we mean that quite literally. Officials are working to correct an underground leak that has been spilling sewage into its waters for 25 years. Sean Lethong reports on how this happened. These images looking down into a sewage pipe showing a hole at the bottom. That hole leaking sewage into a storm pipe and running into Hamilton Harbor. And it looks like that's been happening uh, since 1996, so potentially for uh, 26 years. The hole was discovered yesterday afternoon as a city worker reviewed a video of the pipe from 2013. We identified uh, an unusual situation. Nick Winters, director of water for the city of Hamilton, says that when it was installed, contractors created the hole thinking both pipes were storm drains. It looks like the drawings that they were working off of were wrong. The sewage draining into the harbor from a spot roughly under that large cargo freighter. I don't know how it went undetected so long. The city releasing a map today showing that the pipe is connected to 38 homes and one business in the area of Burlington Street and Wentworth Street North. They should have been on the ball sooner. It shouldn't have taken this long. According to Winters, there are over 2,100 kilometers of sewage pipes running under the city of Hamilton, and this one would not have been on their annual maintenance schedule. Hamilton Mayor Andrea Horvath saying at this point it's less about volume. But it is a matter of making sure that, uh, uh, that we are being open and that we're communicating and that we are letting people know as soon as possible. The city has contacted the Ministry of the Environment. Nick Winters says they are investigating, but environmentally they're expecting very little impact. It really is comparatively a trickle into a very large volume of water. Crews will have the hole fixed by tomorrow, stopping the leak at 26 years. Sean Lee Thong, CTV News. And I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, November is Wills Month and about 60% of Canadians don't have a will or estate plan. Now there's a way to create one online that is easier and cheaper than going to a lawyer and it could help give your family peace of mind. All of my reports, that's just ahead. It's that time of year. We are building a toy mountain. And we're here in Whitby at the Salvation Army. Glenn Van Gulick is here with us too. Glenn, what is special about Whitby and the Salvation Army here? Well, Whitby is a wonderful spot. Lots of great work happening in the community. Our leads here, Ken and Danette Percy, just doing a fabulous job with their team. But, you know, Toy Mountain being here, we want to be able to convey that it is more than a toy, right? Toys are so important, but it's putting a smile on a child's face. It's helping take the weight off the parent's shoulders. It's more than that. So, uh, such a critical opportunity we're going to learn more about that later on in the show. Yes. But donate today, toymountain.ca, for all those spots, how you can support the campaign. Yes, lots of different ways you can help. We're going to be talking about that. And we'll have a look at your weather forecast coming up here on CTV News. It's been said that only two things are for sure in life, death and taxes. But despite that, almost half of all Canadians still have not created a will. November is Make-A-Will Month, and now there is an online option that has been given approval by the Law Society of Ontario. Here's Pat Foran with Consumer Alert. Pat. 
Thanks, Zoraida and Nathan. Many people don't want to make a will because they don't want to think about death, but legal experts say having an estate plan is one of the greatest gifts you can leave your family. You can also create a basic will online starting at around $100. Creating a last will and testament before your death can help your family deal with your assets, prevent stress, and make sure your wishes are carried out. But 57% of Ontarians don't have a will, and that number jumps to 89% for those under the age of 35. You should have a will so your loved ones know what you want when you pass away, and that then there's a clear plan for what should happen to your assets and who should take care of dependents. Willful is an online platform that allows you to create a will with plans costing between $100 to just over $300. The company says it's an easy way to get a will completed and documents have been approved by the Law Society of Ontario. People don't want to go into a lawyer's office anymore and spend thousands of dollars on what's really a simple document. By getting yourself organized and having a will, it's the greatest gift of love that you could leave your family. David Eady is the author of Executor Help, a book he wrote after having issues settling his parents' estate. Being an executor, 99% of people who are asked to be one uh, have no idea what to do. Eady says more conversations before a loved one passes can prevent many problems. Do you want to leave your family disorganized? Do you want to leave them disorganized and in chaos? Because that's what you are doing by not properly uh, preparing yourself and preparing your executor. We always inform people that you should tell the executor that you've appointed them because they don't have to take on that role. You should create or update a will after major life changes like a marriage, separation or divorce, the birth of a child, the death of a beneficiary or executor, or a change in assets. You may wish to seek the services of a lawyer if you have a complicated estate, substantial assets, international property, or feel the will could be challenged. And it can be an honor to be named an executor, but it's a job that also involves a lot of time and effort. It can take hundreds of hours of work and a year or longer to settle an estate. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. It was a nice mild day today. A good day to get out there to buy a new unwrapped toy. Right, it is the season <laughs> of giving. Right, Lindsay? It sure is, Nathan and Zoraida. And you know what? The weather's looking pretty good the next couple of days for getting out there and uh, doing a little bit of shopping for some families in need around the GTA. We are here live in Whitby at the Salvation Army. Where I'm standing right now, this is the food bank area of the Salvation Army. And Donette is responsible for helping put a lot of this together. Thank you for having us here tonight. More than welcome. Thank you for having us. This is a year, I mean, every year there's need, but this year especially, tell me a little bit about how you're helping families in, in this community. Well, what we've discovered in the last month or so actually is, is that there are over 400 families, and those numbers are increasing exponentially throughout uh, the town of Whitby, and we're able to provide more than a toy for them. We're able to put food on the table, we're able to help them with other items as well, and we're also able to bring a smile to, uh, to their faces and to hear someone say, oh, I ran out of coffee or tea or pasta, and uh, we're just so glad that you gave that to us today. And it's just a simple act of kindness, really.
That's so wonderful. Ken, tell me a little bit about Toy Mountain and how excited you are to be a part of this. I'm very excited to be a part of Toy Mountain because, like you say, toys uh, are, are essential for Christmas and kids, right? And But it, it goes beyond that. It's more than, as Donette was saying, it's more than a toy. Um, we bring a smile to a face. We bring hope. Uh, giving hope today is what the Salvation Army is all about. And uh, so being more than a toy, toy, Toy Mountain is phenomenal. But providing that toy, providing that hope and seeing that smile on a child's face Christmas morning, that's what it's all about. Fantastic. And there are so many different ways that people watching at home can help. They can come on down here and make a donation. Absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful. And there are ways to do so online as well. We'll have all of that information on our website, toymountain.ca. Be sure to click on Toronto to find out a little more uh, of those details. And we have some more exciting guests that we're going to introduce you to in just a moment. But let's talk about the weather. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. Today we we made it to a high of eight degrees here in the city of Toronto and tonight we're dropping to a low of minus one. It's going to feel slightly cooler than that once you factor in the wind chill. Potential for some fog as we make our way through the night and then into tomorrow morning. Here's tomorrow at a glance. In the afternoon we're expecting some of that cloud cover to clear and it's going to be mild. Nine degrees for the daytime high. The norm this time of year is about five. No major systems in our short range forecast but I do want to let you know that we're looking at a little bit of rain as we make our way overnight and into the day on Friday. Here's the timing of that. First, we'll show you the fog that develops into tomorrow morning, the clearing that happens in the afternoon, and then the showers roll in through the overnight hours. Might still need that umbrella on Friday, but it's by no means going to be a washout of a day. Uh, the majority of the day will be dry. The sun returns on Saturday, and then it looks as though we're going to be into some more steadier rounds of rain as we make our way into the day on Sunday. So just a heads up there, cooler air moves in for the start of next week. Again, we are live here at the South Army in Whitby. I want to introduce you to a few more friends that I've made here. Uh, can you let me know your name? Hi, I'm Rhonda Mulcahy. I'm your Deputy Mayor in Whitby. Deputy Mayor of Whitby and our city councillors. Look, they've brought a new unwrapped toy to donate. Thank you so much for doing this. It is wonderful to be here in Whitby. Lots more coming up throughout the hour. Nathan Zoraida, I'll send it back to you. All right, thank you, Lindsay. Just ahead, learning important lessons about stopping bullying. How one school is spreading a message of acceptance to mark Bullying Prevention Week. Bullying prevention is on the curriculum this week for Toronto's Catholic students. Now, one West End school, they've been snapping photos as part of the effort. CTV's Pauline Chan explains. Stefania Tassoni began developing the idea of an anti-bullying event at Chaminade College School during class time. And if a picture says a thousand words, then these photos, using the rainbow colours of the LGBTQ plus community, say so much about acceptance. So when the students take photos and any initiative that we do, we use the hashtag Chaminade Cares. And we just really want to show that our school community cares about each other, we care about the students, the staff members, and we care about the community at large as well. Grade 10 student Ridley Manu says he experienced bullying in elementary school. It doesn't make them feel safe and accepted in the school. It makes them feel, you know, uncomfortable and it can really mess their mind from personal experience. I feel like a lot of the problems with bullying stem from, like, students being insecure about themselves or 
uh, having their own like personal problems. And the students are very aware of the link between bullying and suffering mental health problems. Student mental health is very important. It does affect them in their academics as well. So we want to make sure that students have that support here if they're facing any sort of mental health issues. And of course, bullying is a contributing factor to those mental health issues. The message says grade 12 student Emmanuel Ikocha. I mean, we're all one in the same, so there's really no, there shouldn't really be any type of bullying. There shouldn't really be any type of like discrimination because at the end of the day, we're all human beings. Tassoni says it's not just during Bullying Prevention Week that the school addresses the issue. In fact, new students meet even before the start of the school year to discuss how to deal with bullying. Pauline Chan, CTV News. Canadian tennis player Bianca Andrescu was in Jamaica today giving back to the community. I just want to give back to the community. I did read my book to them. They seemed like they enjoyed it and they played tennis for the first time and they loved it a lot. Andrescu spent the afternoon playing tennis with children, teaching them the tricks and tips behind the sport. The tennis star also donated her book to a school and read some pages to the group. BB's Got Game recounts Andrescu's experience falling in love with the sport in picture book form. Andrescu was joined by Jamaican-born National Bank Open Tournament director Carl Hale. While Russia continues its invasion of Ukraine, the country's edition of The Voice was able to film its season finale from a makeshift bomb shelter. Singer Maria Kvitka won the competition, which broadcast from an underground subway station in Kyiv. Ukraine's version of The Voice had to stop filming earlier this year when Russia attacked, and the broadcast was powered by generators. There are also messages of support from editions of The Voice in other countries. Well, there is a big boost to the movie theater industry today following reports of a new commitment from Amazon. If we don't do this, there will be nothing left to say. The tech giant now owns MGM, and while it has a streaming service, Amazon promising to spend big theatrical release spend on big theatrical releases going forward. Bloomberg reports the company plans to spend a billion dollars U.S. each year to make 12 to 15 movies that will screen in cinemas. Stocks and movie theater operators improved in the wake of the news. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. Argo's Championship Rally. Tomorrow on CP24 Breakfast. We're live with players as fans across the city celebrate their Grey Cup victory. CP24 Breakfast, where Toronto gets its everything every morning. It claimed the life of uh, one of our uh, educational assistants and um, a grade 12 uh, child, her son and her husband. And um, as you can well imagine, it is a community in mourning. Updating our top stories, a crash east of Peterborough's claimed the lives of a mother, father, and son, and left their 14-year-old daughter in hospital with serious injuries. Another person was also killed when an SUV and pickup truck collided on Highway 7 near Drummond Line last night. It's not as if we've been slacking off with our doors closed or focusing on other things. You're sending a letter to people who are already giving 110%. Doctors are expressing their frustration over a memo from the Ministry of Health asking them to expand their hours to better accommodate parents with sick children. Doctors say many clinics are already running 24-7 and are calling for greater investment in health care. 
these lads put a shift in. They showed that they can live on this stage. And I think they made the fans proud and made them feel like they belong here. Team Canada hit the pitch at the World Cup for the first time since 1986 today. The team ended up losing 1-0 to Belgium, but their performance has fans optimistic for their upcoming games. That soccer action today had everyone across the country on their feet. Here's CTV's Heather Wright with more on today's Canadian excitement in Qatar. Amped up Canadians arrived at the stadium ready to witness history. We had to be here. We had to be here. I love the sport, I love my country, and I'm so glad that Canada gets to take part of this. It's amazing. Thousands donning the maple leaf after making the trek to Qatar for a moment millions have never seen in their lifetime. I've always wanted to go to a World Cup. It's my first World Cup match tonight. So, yeah, super excited to be here. The moment we've all been waiting for. Inside Canada's national team taking to the field. A moment, a generation in the making. Oh, Canada has not been heard at the tournament since 1986. A proud moment for the team and the country. It's such a special moment and to finally get out there and, and live those dreams, make those dreams come true. As the game got underway, Canada, ranked 41st in the world, took on number two Belgium. In Ahmed Ben Ali Stadium, a sea of red and white. But late in the first half, this happened. And Belgium take the lead inside the final two minutes of the first half. For Canada, the shots kept coming, but they couldn't find the back of the net. The nation's first ever goal at a World Cup will have to wait. These lads put a shift in. They showed that they can live on this stage. And I think they made the fans proud and made them feel like they belong here. And that was important for us. We came out um, against a, a great Belgium squad. And, yeah, we performed. You know, unfortunately, the... You know, it didn't go our way today, but we're definitely going to come back, uh, come back stronger in the, in the next game. It's just surreal to be here, and you know, we'll take this result because we played so well. Despite the loss, Canada played a strong game against one of the top-seeded teams. They will get another chance on Sunday when they take on Croatia. Heather Wright, CTV News, Al Rayon, Qatar. On the markets, the Canadian dollar gained 11 basis points to 74.89 U.S. American benchmark oil was down $3 a barrel to 77.94, and the TSX Composite Index climbed 62 points to close at 20,282. While policies around in-person and virtual work evolve, new figures show Toronto's downtown is still far emptier than it was pre-pandemic. A report from the Canadian Chamber of Commerce says mobility to workplaces downtown is still 46% lower than it was in January of 2020. Similar drops were seen in other large cities across Canada. The Chamber says the findings back up a trend of people moving away from downtown cores to work remotely from less dense areas. Wall Street stocks close higher today after signs the U.S. Federal Reserve might slow down future interest rate hikes. Minutes from the latest policy meeting showed most central bankers agreed it would likely soon be appropriate for the rate hikes to pull back. The Fed has increased rates by 75 basis points four times in a row. Economists now expect an increase of 50 basis points in December. Policymakers say the inflation readings over the next few months will decide when the hikes can stop. And there are similar signs this tonight from the Bank of Canada. Governor Tiff Macklem says he expects the key interest rate to keep on climbing. As for how much higher rates might go, he said that'll depend on how quickly demand slows down. 
He said the Canadian economy is still overheating and it'll take some time for higher rates to have an impact on inflationary pressures. Still ahead, hands off in the six, the new developments putting driverless cars on downtown Toronto streets. That's just after the break. Back to work at Toronto City Hall today. The new term is now underway for the mayor and councillors following the October election. CTV's Beth McDonnell reports on their return and the contentious issue hounding John Tory. To the beat of drums, Toronto's new city council members smudged, then entered chambers for the first time. There are nine new councillors and 16 incumbents, and for a third term, Mayor John Tory is at the helm. I stand here today thanks to the mandate that I've received from voters across the city, and I'm committed to serving. Minutes into the meeting, a signal of the possible strife which may lie ahead over the coming weeks and months when councillor Josh Matlow stood, speaking to Tory with a point of privilege. You impugned the privilege of this assembly by requesting that Premier Ford provide you undemocratic minority rule powers. At issue, Provincial Bill 39, yet to be passed at Queen's Park. It would give Tory additional powers to push through some bylaws with only one-third of support from council. Matlow wants the mayor to discuss the bill at council and have him rescind his request for the powers to the premier. I am not suggesting that there shouldn't be the ability to expedite um, addressing the housing crisis and building transit and doing all the things that are priorities to Torontonians. But it should be done through a democracy and minority rule is the antithesis of a democracy. In the mayor's address, Tory tackled criticism of the bill. I'm committing here today, first, that I will only utilize this measure on housing and transit matters of citywide importance. Second, that any proposed use would always be preceded by a staff report, independently written by our staff. And thirdly, that I will, without exception, without exception, try first to forge a consensus through the use of the council process. Aside from Bill 39, Tory has already been granted some strong mayor powers from a previous provincial law, Bill 3. It allows the mayor to veto bylaws that conflict with provincial priorities and gives the ability to control the city's budget. Tory says every action taken under these powers will be public and documented, with a report coming from city staff on how it will work next month. Beth McDonnell, CTV News. Finally tonight, driving in the 6 just got a bit easier or more hectic, depending on who you're asking. Tesla is now allowing its car owners to go hands-off in the core. Our Mike Walker explains what's happening. Navigate. It's a feature that allows drivers to relinquish control to the car by punching in the destination in the GPS. But Tesla owners like John Dixon haven't been able to use the full self-driving beta program in Toronto's downtown until now. Certainly enhances the ability to use your car on full, full self-driving beta. Tesla rolled out the feature in Canada this past March, but a geofence prohibited its use in the downtown. At the time, Tesla owner Elon Musk stated on Twitter, Toronto streetcars are not yet handled well by the technology. Following months of testing and a recent software update, that geofence has been removed. It's good news in that Tesla solved that problem, or, or I think they're almost there. And it means that full self-driving is going to be a little bit closer to full fruition down the road. This transportation engineering expert believes Toronto streetcars presented a number of unique challenges. It could be 
uh, the length of them, they are uh, in the middle and uh, at the same time, you know, they are frequently stopping. He says Tesla's ability to collect video data from its vehicles likely helped the company improve the technology and address the issues. Artificial intelligence, it learns from examples and uh, as uh, it gets more examples, it, it becomes better at uh, recognizing and, and, and predicting different situations. The TTC says it wasn't aware of the change, adding its operators are trained to navigate the road safely and hope Tesla has the same regard. A spokesperson states this would mean the technology recognizes streetcars stopped with their doors open. In general, the uh, rate of accidents, it's pretty low. And these uh, perception systems, they are very good at uh, figuring out environment. The cars are not fully autonomous. The feature is only available to Tesla owners with a high driving score. They are required to keep a hand on the wheel and be ready to take over control. And every 45 seconds, it tells you to sort of tug the wheel and make sure that uh, uh, it knows you're there. If the car senses that you're not engaged and it disengages five times, you're kicked out of the program. Dixon says the technology is best served for long-distance trips, but he does plan on testing it out in the core. Tesla did not respond to our requests for comment. Mike Walker, CTV News. Let's check back in with Lindsay in Whitby with one last look at the forecast. Lindsay. Well, Nathan, just before we get to the forecast, I want to share something special with you. I've made some great friends here tonight in Whitby, including members of the Whitby Rotary Club. This is Dan Coombs. He's the president. And you have something special to share with us tonight. Thank you so much. I'm here with other members of our community support team, and it gives us great pleasure to continue to support the Salvation Army and all their fantastic work with, a drum roll please, a check for $5,000. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you all so much for your generosity. How great is that? And we want to encourage you to give if you can too. And while you're at it, share your efforts with us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And you can send your photos to us as well at toy.mountain at bellmedia.ca. It's a great way to get involved because we want to celebrate you. Just before we finish things up here at the Salvation Army, we'll take one more look at your seven-day forecast. It's a pretty nice one. And as we said, nice conditions for getting outside, doing a little bit of shopping. It has been so wonderful to spend some time here in Whitby at the Salvation Army as we build a toy mountain. Thank you so much for helping us get our campaign started off so well. Nathan and Zoraida, I'm going to send it back inside to you in the studio. Thank you, Lindsay. Great work. And be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by our next local newscast at 11.30. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay Morrison and all of us here at CTV News, thank you for watching. Have a good night. We'll see you at 11.30. Good night.